Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are in this series called Little by Little, Finding Your Identity in Christ. And really what we've been learning in this series is uh, about who we are uh, as God's children. And really we've been, over the last several weeks, we've been looking over chapter 5. And we've said that in chapter 5, there are about, um, it starts off in the first 20 verses giving us 15 commands. And these are commands that we're not to go home and think about and go, all right, let me pray about this. God, is this your will for my life? Is this something that I should do? These aren't things for us to consider. These are actually commands given to us in God's word. And so we are to live them out. And so some of the commands we've been looking at is that we're to be imitators of God. We also uh, looked at the fact that we are to imitate God in his love, that uh, the love that we've first been shown should burst into our lives, into every aspect of our lives, to other people's lives. We've also talked about how the fact that we're to walk in the light. And today we're going to be talking about walking in wisdom. Now, the title of today's message is called Wits and Wagers. And uh, this, is, uh, this is actually the title of a game that our family likes to play. In fact, we played it last week, and it kind of gave me the idea for this week. And it's a game, it's a trivia game, but every answer has a numeric answer to it. And so um, basically, the idea of the game is you might be at, you'll be asked a question. So it'll be, how many black keys are on a standard 88-key uh, piano? And everybody would write their answers on a card and they would lay it face down. And then you have reveal time and everybody then flips up their answers. And you basically go from lowest to highest and you put all the answers and you put bets on who you think is right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you believe that much about your answer. Or maybe the person, uh, your, your spouse, your friend you think is right. And so you bet on their answer. And then you reveal who that person is. And so uh, it's been called the trivia game you can win without knowing any of the answers. So I don't know how many of you hate trivia games, but you'll love this one. In fact, I thought we could be a little interactive today. I hope you guys are ready for it. Are you guys ready? Are you guys going to be loud? Okay. All right. The first service, they were a little quiet. We'll just say they were a little sleepy. All right. But you guys are awake and alert. But first question, it's going to have a number for an answer. All right. It is, what is the record for the most knives thrown around a human target in one minute? Just yell at your answer. I'm just wondering who the heck is having knives thrown at them, first of all. Like, that's a special kind of stupid, if you're asking me. Like, they either know where they're going for all of eternity, or they just have no idea. But the answer is 144. That's the answer. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, that's, that's right. Somebody isn't right. You guys like Wheel of Fortune? You guys know about Wheel of Fortune? All right. On TV's Wheel of Fortune, how many pegs are on the outside of the wheel? Okay, here we go. Ready? 72. It's not too bad, right? Right? Somebody, I asked the question um, to our media team, and they were like, 300. I was like, you're crazy, people. (laughs) Okay, here's another one. How many munchkins were cast for the Wizard of Oz? Okay, ready? 124. 124, that's as many. Now, I love it because they also add fun facts. They say this, each munchkin made $50 a week. Now, Toto made a total of $125 a week. So the dog is making more money than... The actors in the movie. 
Now, I like this. We'll close with this one. What percent of Americans think they are smarter than the average American? This is a percentage. What percent of Americans think they're smarter than the average one? 75, 99, 55%. 55% think they're smarter than the average American. And I like that we, we did that because really today we're talking all about wisdom. Now, when I play this game, when I play this game with my family, when we're playing it with friends, I often feel foolish when I write down the answers to this game. Because I often think, man, my answer's too low, my answer's too high. What are my friends going to think of me? My, what is my family going to think of me? Are they going to be like, how did this person make it this far in life? Like, you kind of seem like a moron. Like, I, the reveal time is the most stressful time. Because I'm curious, how will my answers match up with everybody else's answers? And I think for some of us, even as I've tried to have us be interactive a little bit today, I think a lot of us, we too feel a little foolish as well. Like we don't really want to be bold and say our answers and and shout them out loud because the reality is we don't want to appear foolish to our friends or to our family or the people around us. The reality is we want our lives to be marked by wisdom. But unlike the game Wits and Wagers, when it comes to imitating God, there's no guessing the right answers. What we're going to see today is that we can have wisdom when it comes to walking with God. In fact, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There are three things that I see in these three verses that can help us make the most of our lives and make our lives count. And the first one is, we need to see life from God's perspective. We need to see life from God's perspective. Paul says in verse 15, look carefully how you walk. Now the translation, look carefully, might be a little confusing when we read this because it sounds like Paul is kind of putting us on the defensive a little bit. You know, growing up, my mom would say, be careful when she believed that something horrible was going to happen to me or believed some harm or danger was going to happen to me. But here, that's not really what Paul is getting at. What he's talking about is to be thoughtful, to take extreme care of. It means to take intense scrutiny of your life. What this verse is telling us is that your life and my life isn't some random accident Paul is challenging us to be very serious and careful and exercise extreme care with how we live. Now, when I found that out this week, it reminded me of a time in my life where I had to take extreme care in my life. And it was 10 years ago when I held Brody for the very first time. And I brought a picture of what he looks like because he looks very different than how he looks today. Brody was a very tiny kid. His head fit in the palm of my hand. His body was the length of my arm. And I remember when he was born, the doctor was ready to hand him to me and say, are you ready to hold your son? I went, no. Like, don't I have to take a class on this? Like, isn't there some information I should have? I'm not a pro. I feel like I should learn because I could count on one hand how many babies I held up until that point. And it was two. That's how many I held. And so when he was going to hand him to me, I was like, I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think I can handle this. 
In fact, I remember when we brought him home, Jen would ask me, do you want to feed him a bottle or do you want to hold him? And I'd be like, sure. And so I would get settled up in the couch or the chair and I'd be ready to receive him because I had to make sure that I was ready because I wanted to take extreme care. He felt like he, was, he would break or I could break him or hurt him in some way. But maybe having a baby doesn't really resonate a whole lot with you. Maybe it's your first car you ever had or the car you currently own. Uh, mine was a 1992 Colt Vista. That is exactly what it looked like. That teal, that bad. But let me tell you, I loved that car. I took care of it. I washed it. I cleaned the inside of it. I made sure that my friends didn't touch any of the volume knobs or the AC knobs because I didn't want them to break anything. For some of us, we have a new car and we don't even let our kids in it. We don't allow food or drink in it. Like we just are that protective of our car. But here's the reality. Eventually, we know what happens. That preciousness wears off. We kind of get used to the things that we're used to and then we don't care like we used to care. And what Paul is talking about here is he says, look carefully. He's like, listen, live your life on purpose. Your life isn't random. Your life is not some accident. You need to live your life with intention. Every move of your life is to be thought out because you have a valuable life. We are being challenged right at the beginning of this verse to be careful how we walk because as Christians, this life that God has given to us is valuable. As followers of Jesus, we are to be intentional with how we are to go about our lives, with, which sounds really great. I mean, who doesn't want to live with intentionality, right? But while this is desirable, it can also feel vague. But Paul gives us some specifics on this. He says again in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. See, the word wisdom is a word we hear a lot in culture, right? We hear, quite frankly, a lot of talk about wisdom in the church as well. But I wonder if you've ever stopped and thought about and really figured out what, is, what does it mean to have wisdom? Like if I were to go around the room individually and ask each one of you to define wisdom, what would you say? What definition would you give? Now, for me, I don't necessarily think of a word definition. I think of more people in my life who seem to be characterized by wisdom. In fact, I brought a few people that I feel like embody or are characterized by wisdom. And the first one is uh, Morgan Freeman. Now, I think he looks wise right there. Like even that jacket, like everything about that goes, wow, I feel like he's wise. His movies, the characters he plays, he's a wise guy, right? Like he feels like he's a couple steps ahead of you. He kind of knows some things. And, but not only does he look wise, but he sounds wise as well. Like if I were to have to give wisdom a voice, that would be the voice that I would give wisdom, right? He's narrated a book about Jesus being born, which I think is great. And I think I'm going to have to listen to this because I feel like it's going to be as if wisdom is talking to me, you know? He's narrated documentaries. He's narrated different books. To me, he looks and sounds like wisdom. But for some of us, we go, no, Gandalf is more of wisdom, right? Because he's got the long hair, the long beard, he's kind of even smoking a pipe. Like he looks like he's lived a life and has got some wisdom to share. But today I thought, man, I got to bring it home for us. I got to help us understand wisdom and, and somebody who's characterized by wisdom. And I thought about it and I came up with Pastor Dennis. I don't know how many of you guys know Pastor Dennis. Yeah? He is a man marked by wisdom. 
And I love this guy. Like, I feel like, he, and, and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to do anything like that. I'm being 100% serious that I love Pastor Dennis. And if you don't know him, you should get to know him. And those of us who do know him, we know that he is a wise guy. He is a gift to awaken church from the Lord. And I truly believe that. But I love Dennis because there's times over the last few months that I've called him up and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing or what do you think about this? Have, have, what, have you ever gone through this before? And I'm like talking to him and trying to get wisdom from him. And I love Dennis because he always calms me right down. He'll, ta- he'll talk to me in that Southern draw accent that he has. He'll say, well, Nate, you're doing good here. Or have you thought about this? Or I think that's the right track. Or, you know what? We saw this and you're doing this right because you saw this that we didn't see before. And so he has wisdom. And I love that he's a part of our church. But when we think about wisdom, I think we often think about people. This week, I thought about my parents, my grandparents, teachers that I've had. I think when we define wisdom, we think of people who are characterized by wisdom. But when it comes to wisdom in the Bible, it's not just about having knowledge, but knowing how to act on that knowledge. So it's not just about knowing things, but knowing what to do with what you know. And according to the Bible, you could be the smartest person alive and still not be wise. In fact, there's an entire uh, section of the Bible known as the books of wisdom. And one of the books of wisdom is Job. And you might be familiar with the book of Job. Job basically loses all of his worldly possessions, everything he owned. He lost his kids. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. And then his wife comes up to him after he's lost everything. And she goes, hey, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, that's not the best advice that one could ever get, right? Like if that's plan A, you might want to look at plan B because that's not really what you should do. And in response, Job says this, we've accepted good things. Should we not only accept bad as well? They've got good things. They should accept the bad things as well. Job was being wise. He had the wisdom to know what to do when hard times came in his life. Job's wife was like, we should only love God as long as we get what we want. And Job's like, no, God's been very good to us. We're in a hard season right now, but this isn't the time to stop loving God. Basically, what he's saying is that whatever we get from God's hand, we're going to receive, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're sick, we're healthy, whether we're a failure, whether we're a success, whether we have too much or too little, we accept whatever God gives us. Job had wisdom to see life from God's perspective. This is important because sometimes we think wisdom means intelligence. Or wisdom means taking time to learn something. Wisdom has nothing to do with time spent living life. Wisdom has everything to do with time spent seeing life from God's perspective. Now, you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, well, I'm just little old me. How am I going to see life from God's perspective? Because this seems like an impossible standard. And it is an impossible standard in our flesh, in and of ourselves. It is an impossible standard in our flesh. We will never gain or achieve this kind of wisdom that we are being called to walk in. But God has promised us in his word that he will give wisdom to us if we just ask him. In fact, James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, and all of us there would say, yes, we do, right? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. So I hope you see how this is all framing up. 
Paul here is saying, as Jesus followers, take extreme care. Be careful. Guard your life. Take your life seriously. Be intentional with it and chase after wisdom. But how do you chase after wisdom? How do you pursue wisdom? Well, you ask God. You go, God, can you show me from your perspective how to love my family right now? God, can you give me your point of view to see my workplace right now? God, give me your eyes to see my school the way that you see my school. The way that you walk in wisdom is you're constantly asking God to see your life or whatever it is in front of you from his point of view. Here's the second thing. We need to make the most of our time. We need to make the most of our time. If you want to make an impact with your life, you got to get control of your time. Your time is your life. If you don't learn to manage your time, you're not going to go very far in life. And this is the warning that Paul is giving us here in verse 16 when he says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, when the New Testament that we're reading from was originally written, it was written in the Greek. And we're reading from uh, English translations of it. And so when there's the English translation, sometimes there's words or phrases that kind of lose their sting or lose the emphasis that the original author was trying to have. And this is one of those times that there's a lot more being communicated than what we see at first glance. And that's what Paul is talking about when he uses this word time. He's like, make the most of your time. He's not talking about time like we're used to talking about time. You know, when we talk about time, we think of the uh, seconds that add up to the minutes, that add up to the hours, that add up to the the days. It's a chronological timeline. And that's not what Paul's talking about when he uses this word time. He uses this Greek word called kairos. And kairos means seconds, minutes, or hours. Kairos is, uh, kairos doesn't mean seconds, minutes, or hours. Kairos means notes measured or allocated or fixed for a season. So it's not about the flow of time. It's about a predetermined set of time. So for example, it's like taking a test. If you've ever had to take a test for high school, college, or your job, you have a preset, predetermined amount of time to take that test in. There's no do-overs. There's no extra time. When that time is up, it's up. And here's why this is so important, why I'm making a big deal of it. Because Paul isn't saying here that we should make up the most of the seconds, the minutes, the hours that are going to go on forever with or without us. The sobering reality of this verse is we need to make the most of our very limited time, the allocated, fixed season of life that we have here on earth. The reality is my days are numbered. Your days are numbered. There is a fixed allocated set of moments that we have on this earth. And Paul is telling us we need to make the most of this time because we are not going to live forever. Our days are short. James chapter 4 says it this way, your life is like the morning fog. Other translations would read, it's like a mist or a vapor. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. See, Paul doesn't say we need to make the most of the minutes that go on regardless of what we do. He says we need to make the most of the allocated fixed time that we have on planet Earth. And here's the reason why. Because the days are evil. When Paul looked around his world, he saw that he was living in evil times. When he looked around the world, he saw that sin was rampant everywhere he went. 
And the same is true for us today. We talked about it last week. We are living in evil times. We can see it everywhere. The days are evil. Sin is running wild everywhere we go. The evil we see day to day, our chances to do good will eventually slip away and it will be consumed by darkness unless we act. And because we live in evil times, if we just go with the flow of our culture, then we're going to waste our lives. See, the worst thing you can do from the perspective of wisdom is you could just float through life, not thinking about the season you're in or how it might be used to the fullest. Wisdom is constantly asking this question, what season am I in and how can I make the most of it? We all have the same amount of time every week, 168 hours. And what you do with your time counts. You only have a certain number of days in this world and if you blow them, then you've blown it. If you waste your time, you're wasting your life. Your time is your life. And so from time to time, periodically in your life, you have to ask, is this the best use of my time? Is this the best use of my life? This week, I found out that the life expectancy of the average person is 79 years old. Now, for some of us, we hear that and we go, I got lots of time. I'm good to go. Others of us, we hear that and we go, I'm coming right up that or I've blown past that. And if, the, if you're coming up on it or you've blown past it, you would look at the people who feel like they have lots of time and you would say, it goes by faster than you think. Amen. Amen. And every day we have the opportunity to either make the most of the time that God has given it, investing it, asking God how we can use that time. What does he want us to do with this time? Being wise, being intentional with it, or we can squander the time that God has given us. And we can just waste our lives. To help us see the magnitude of this, there's two realities of time that we need to understand. The first one is that our time on earth is short. We've been talking about that. Even if you live to be 100 years old, in light of eternity, that is just a vapor, that's a mist, it's the morning fog, it's here and then it's gone. Our time is definitely short. But the second reality of our time is that our time on earth will be potentially significant. Our life on earth will be potentially significant. Now, some of you hear that and you go, that seems a little harsh. Potentially? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've been able to achieve in this life? Potentially significant? But listen, you have to understand that God isn't some dictator in heaven and we're not his robots. So God isn't going to force us or make us make the most of our time. We've been given this life to steward over it. And the reality is, as Christians, we could take this life that God has given us and we can invest in what we want to invest in. We could do what we want to do, conquer everything that we want to conquer. And we can look back months, years, decades of our life and see everything that we wanted to do. And we can look at a life that was potentially wasted. Or we could make the most of our lives, investing in what is essential and spending less time on what is trivial. No matter where you're at in life, maybe you feel like you've wasted too many years, you can turn that around. Maybe you're just getting started. You have the ability to avoid a lot of mistakes and make the most of your life. The question that you have to wrestle with in your heart is, what are you doing with those limited moments that you have on earth? A pastor named John Piper put it this way. 
He said, time is precious. We are fragile. Life is short. Eternity is long. Every minute counts. Oh, to be a faithful steward of the breath that God has given me. I read that quote this week, and it really challenged me. Really challenged me to think about how I'm using my time. It really put into focus just how short our time here on earth really is. And I was asking that question what am I doing with these limited moments that I have here on earth? Now, I know for some of us, we could hear this and it could feel like it got a little dark, or we could get a little freaked out hearing this, but it's not so much to freak us out as inspire us. Yes, our time on this earth is short, but everything we've also read in God's word is also true, that he wants to use your life and my life in powerful ways. I mean, all you have to do is look back at, into history and see how God took ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit to do huge and amazing things. God used people to turn the world upside down, and so it should inspire us and not freak us out. Yes, our time is short, but our time on earth can be significant only if we make the most of our time. To illustrate this on time, what I found out, I'll, I'll tell you some facts. Uh, what I found out was that we'll spend one-third of our life asleep. Some of you are like, try two-thirds. <laughs> we'll spend 32,000 hours eating. By the way, you'll eat the amount of six elephants in your entire lifetime, all right? So that's just a fun fact. You'll spend 92 days in your lifetime in the bathroom taking care of those elephants. Like that's, that's what's happening. And some of you wives are looking at your husbands going, see, you're in there way too long. Try 100 days. I knew you were doing nothing in there. But those are only some of the essential things. We didn't talk about work or school or other things that we do in our lifetime, those are only the essential things that we have to do to keep ourselves alive. But what about the time wasters? You'll spend five and a half years checking email. You'll spend one third of your life researching or doing online shopping on the computer. You'll spend five and a half years just looking at your cell phone. And probably the most shocking statistic I read this week was that you're going to spend on average two hours a day on social media. Now, for some of us, we hear that and we go, well, that doesn't seem like a lot of time, but it adds up. On average, you will waste in your life 30 days not interacting with real human beings, but just scrolling, double tapping, commenting. This year, you will miss, on average, one month of your life to social media. Now, for me, when I thought about that, and I thought 10% of my 2021 is going to be taken up by uh, looking at my device and not spend time engaging with the people that I'm called to engage with, not lead the people I'm supposed to lead, not raise the people I'm supposed to lead and raise, but looking at a device, it was challenging to me this week. Because the reality is our kids will not care how many followers we had, how many likes we had, if we cropped that picture in just a certain way and had the right caption to say, they're not going to care about any of that stuff. They're not going to care about the stories or the memories that we have or that we share with other people if we're not making stories and memories with them. We need to make the most of our time. 
The challenge for us here is to be careful how we live. Listen, don't waste your life. Don't waste a second for something that's just second best. Don't go through life just existing. You were created to do more than just coast through this life. God created you for a plan and a purpose, and you need to make the most of your time. And the way that you do that is you ask this question, God, is what I'm doing making the best use of my kairos, the best use of my time on this earth? And our final thought here is we need to know God's will. We need to know God's will. Paul says in verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is challenging us to walk in wisdom and make the most of our time. And so he reiterates the point that he's been talking about, that we need to fight the foolishness, to slip into the foolishness of life, of just coasting through this life, doing whatever it is we want to do, to not maximizing our time on the things that are essential and not on the things that are trivial. He's like, it's going to be easy to slip into that foolishness, but he's like, don't do it. Don't be foolish. Don't live foolishly. And by the way, that's what the enemy would love you to do. He'd love for you to go to sleep. He'd love you to just waste your life to live a life of foolishness, to waste your time. You know why? Because then you're not effective for the kingdom of heaven. He wants to lull you to sleep and let you be sleepy so that you don't have an impact for Jesus. And Paul's like, don't be foolish, but, he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, for a lot of us, this sounds like the understatement of the year. Understand the will of the Lord. I mean, Paul might as well have just said, hey, go and be a billionaire, And I have to understand the will of God? One of the most common questions I get as a pastor, one of the most common talked about topics in all of the church is, what's God's will for my life? I know I've asked it many times in my life. You've probably asked it a number of times in your life as well. But what I believe Paul is saying here is it's not so much about knowing the will of God, But as we're careful, being serious with our walk, as we're pursuing God, as we're asking for wisdom, as we're making the most of our time, we are going to find ourselves joyfully walking in his will. I think the point, we could easily get tripped up on the will of God here, and we could talk about it at another time, because I don't think it's as complicated as we want to make it out to be. But I don't think the point here is to get tripped up on what God's will is and what God's will isn't. The point Paul is trying to make here is that when you decide to passionately, intentionally, with discipline, being careful how you walk with the Lord, if you are pursuing wisdom in God's word, saying, God, would you speak to me? I need some wisdom right now. I need some wisdom on how to navigate my life. If you're praying to God, saying, God, would you show me some perspective on my life today? God, show me to see your perspective and how to make the most of my time. You're going to be someone who is joyfully walking in God's will. The problem for us, though, is that all too often, we don't open up God's word. We go, ah, I go to church almost every Sunday. I know it. I've read it one time through. I've read the most important book, so, you know, I've got this church thing down. I I got God's word. I got the wisdom I need. 
I've been a Christian a long time now. You know, I, I went to Sunday school as a kid. I've grown up in the church my whole life. I've got this Christian thing down long enough. I know what we're doing. And then we're not careful. And we're just kind of walking through life, not living with purpose, just kind of wasting our time, not living with intention, wasting our time on things that God has not called us to do, but pursuing things that we want to do. And then when life happens, we often go, God, why don't you speak to me? God, show me your will. I need to hear it. What are you doing here, God? Why don't I feel like I can never hear you? Show me your will for my life. And I think God would turn us to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and he would say, look, be careful how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because, listen, you have a short amount of time on earth and the days are evil and there's a lot of work to be done. Therefore, don't live foolish lives. And then you will know what my will is. That, Awakened Church, is walking in wisdom. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.